Hello, this is your host, Paul Harvey at Life, Passion and Business. I realise I put this at the end of the programme most of the time. And I also realise I don't often listen to the end of podcasts. So I thought about it, i tell you here before we get started. So the first thing is this podcast is not supported in any way. We have no sponsorship. So if you would like to support us, do check out the Buy Me A Coffee link on this podcast app. And you also find it at the website. Now, also, if you are interested in the five questions and would like to answer them yourself, do check out the resources tab at the website because the five questions is available as a workbook and an ebook. And if you want to know why that's important, check out the end of the podcast or go and check out the resources tab at the website. That's enough for me. Let's get on with the program. My name is Paul Harvey, and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people, and what I have discovered is that our story is everything, because what we do, feel or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? Work with people in care homes, in special educational schools, and I absolutely fell in love with helping people and psychology and how people's brains work. And I learned a lot about myself as well because up until that point, I'd struggled myself with my own mental health, having an eating disorder. We are all different and there is no normal. We're a mix of thoughts and feelings. But some people in society struggle to fit in or keep up with what is expected of being normal. Now, thankfully, we are aware of these terms like ADHD and other conditions. And yet still, we live in a world where there is stigma associated with people who are different. In our conversations today, we are looking at neurodiversity and how it is recognised and needs to be embraced. My guest on the show is Ellis White, who is a consultant business psychologist and herself, as she is neurodiverse. Ellis started life with a passion for music, singing and performing, and she had the ability to take up many musical instruments. Music was her happy place, allowing her to express and move freely. Other aspects of her education were not so easy and she struggled in some areas and at some point in her late teens she developed an eating disorder. On finishing school there was a plan to go to university. She took a gap year to get some life experience in the world of work. She played to her strengths at university and went for a music degree. However, taking a module in music therapy, it changed her perspective and gave her a whole new direction. She moved towards psychology and helping people. On leaving university, she spent some time in the NHS and discovered what it felt like to work in an environment where you were not seen quite as normal. She experienced what it was like when bullying goes too far. It's very common in the workplace. In her mid-twenties, she was studying for her master's and it was while sitting in a lecture that she effectively diagnosed her own neurodiverse condition. She was listening to this lecture and she realised that she had a lot of these traits that she was looking at on the board. This revelation deepened her interest in neurodiversity and fueled a passion for helping others understand their unique brain functionalities. Fine enough, even today, while she's qualified to identify and give people the neurodiverse diagnosis, she's still waiting for the medical profession to officially confirm her own. Our conversation is discussing what it means to be neurodiverse and how bullying in the workplace can go so wrong. 
We look at how you can identify your own condition and better still get access to testing. It's important to know there is support out there, even if it's quite difficult to access at times. Today, Ellis provides services as a business psychologist. Her work revolves around applying psychological principles to enhance organizations' health, productivity and culture. So let's join the conversation with Ellis White. So welcome to Life, Passion and Business. This is the story. Well, we like to hear the stories of people's lives, how they do the thing, how they do this amazing thing called life and the ups and downs. So where were you born in the world and where did it all begin? I was actually born in London, so you may notice a bit of an accent from me from time to time. Um, so yeah, I was born in London, lived there for a few years before I eventually moved to Hertfordshire. Hmm. That's where it all started for me. Uh-huh. And um, so what was what were the sort of things you were into as a child? What did you get up, what did you get up to? What were your passions as a young child? Do you know, my, one of my earliest passions was actually music. Um, I absolutely loved singing. Um, I played a number of instruments at one stage. I was pretty proficient in about seven different instruments mm. uh, and spent much of my childhood doing things like going to the theatre. I was in a few theatre productions, um, but I mostly loved to sing. I was pretty much always doing something musical. Nice, nice. Yeah. And did that, did that follow through into education and stuff? It did. So I, like many people, didn't exactly know what I wanted to do in life. And then I went to, I took a gap year, but decided to go to university like most people did at that time. And I did music because that was the thing that I was gifted at. I didn't think of myself as very academic. Um, I typically was average at school. I struggled with certain things. Um but it was never really recognised as um, a potential neurodiverse condition. Um, And then it was whilst I was doing my music degree that I took a module right at the beginning of my second year in music therapy. And that's how my whole interest in psychology kind of started. Um, I did some work with people in care homes, in special educational schools, and I actually absolutely fell in love with helping people and psychology and how people's brains work and I learned a lot about myself as well because up until that point I'd struggled myself with my own mental health having an eating disorder so understanding how to support people and therapy it was like a personal and professional kind of interest Mm, yes so how did your you say you're you're neuro, you say you're neurodiverse did you say? Yes, yes. Um, funnily enough, that wasn't actually something that was recognised until I recognised it in myself, and I think that's a story that many people will relate to, particularly for uh, those of us that went to school in the nineties. Sort of um, and the early 2000s that neurodiverse conditions weren't necessarily as well known about at that point there was still a lot of stigma and discrimination not as much funding for support unless you were somebody that needed more support um, than most so unfortunately it was never recognized or picked up until I actually got to my master's degree and I kid you not I sat through a lecture on neurodiverse conditions and I was like oh my goodness this is the story of my life why has nobody mm. ever said anything to me before now 
And it's interesting, I mean, the generation before that, before yours, my generation, we were punished for it. We were told we were lazy and stupid. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, was called, and, I was, and I was called thick and put on the black table and all sorts of shit to try and make me um, become um, inspired to do something about my lack of <laughs> lack of learning ability. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and that you're always made to feel like there was something wrong with you. Yes. And I must say, um, you know, it's, it's definitely better or it was better in my generation compared to yours. Definitely agree with that. Um, but there was a lot of a knock-on effect where it was like, you know, your your families, your teachers weren't necessarily the most open-minded either. Um, and unfortunately, there was a lack of awareness for general population. So there was still this feeling that there was something wrong with me and that I shouldn't tell anyone about it. And it's only really now as I kind of enter my 30s that I'm actually more comfortable with saying do you know what I had an eating disorder when I was younger I have traits of ADHD I need additional support with certain things because otherwise I get overwhelmed in those situations it's interesting that uh, you know I'm beginning to realize as I reach my I'm in my 60s now and I look around the world I'm beginning to realize that most people are on a spectrum of some sorts. I, I think there's very few people in the world who, ha- who are, I mean, oh yeah, yeah, there's a, probably a small percent, but most people have something where their brain doesn't quite work as the standard is supposed to. Yeah, so it's interesting you say that. So the term neurodiversity encompasses everyone and literally means that everybody's brain works a bit differently you have Mm. your own unique wiring of how your brain works Mm. um but when we're talking about neurodiverse conditions we need to remember that there is a threshold there is a point of which is considered typical and a point of which considered where you may need additional support and have a neurodiverse Mm. condition so it's important that we don't Whilst I agree, you know, we we need to recognise everybody has a different way of thinking and processing. It's important that we don't undermine those with neurodiverse conditions that need those extra support. Absolutely. Because I feel like sometimes when people say, oh, we all exist along the spectrum, it's almost like they're undermining the fact that actually certain people need additional support. I I wasn't saying it from that perspective. I was saying is that what you get to realise is that there is no normal, really. We're all all on a journey and some people need more support than others. Yeah. Uh, My my son was never never diagnosed as having dyslexia, but when he, he used to use it as a term because it got him the support that he needed. Yeah, yeah, I can appreciate that. And he could... He could take in a lot of information and he could actually present himself very well orally, but the, the process of trying to take that information and convert it into a sentence to get it onto a page would mm. be very difficult for him. And that's unfortunately the downfall of our awareness around neurodiverse conditions because actually there's a lot of strengths. And as you rightly mentioned, being able to verbalise yourself orally is often a really big strength for people with dyslexia and thinking outside of the box, being more creative, which I think is how I fell into music initially Mm. because 
it was a more comfortable environment for me. I was able to move around. I was able to sing. I, w- I wasn't forced to sit still, read a book and write things down. I much preferred the kind of activeness that music gave me. But what I realised was that later on in life, um, I do have ADHD and that just the way the education system is put together isn't necessarily suitable for people with neurodiverse conditions in every way, which is most likely why I enjoyed the creative subjects because it gave me that freedom and support compared to an English exam, for example. And the beauty of music, I guess, it allows you to express your feelings and bring some of those things out into the world in a way. Because you can express the emotions or the hurt that you're feeling in the music you're playing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think art is... is, Mm. Any any form of art is more expressive than language at times. Um, Mm. And so I, I wholeheartedly know that that was a big part of my process and recovery and support um for myself when I was going through teenage and young adult life I have a a relative who has has is bipolar and when they are in their worst place drawing is their therapy wow and they will draw and draw and draw and draw and draw and and it brings and and their house is full of paintings and drawings and things but it brings them out of of that place and it keeps them keeps them happy that's incredible yeah it is is. lovely so where did it lead you i mean obviously you're sitting in this master's lecture and you suddenly discovered that whoa that's me what happened there um i went to the university initially um to say I really resonate with traits of ADHD and I think that was one of the key points that led to my eating habits, um, which they agreed I had an assessment at the university to get me the support that I needed in terms of my education and my learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then that was essentially it because getting a diagnosis through a doctor's and going through the NHS takes a lot longer whereas I'm what I needed at the moment was support from my education not necessarily the the full diagnosis mm. so I didn't actually go that route and to be honest I'm still on that waiting list when I did go to the doctors I've, I've, I've had various um verbal assessments but I've never actually sat through a formal screening assessment um Although I am a, I myself am qualified to give screening assessments now as a psychologist, I've done the educational certificate that allows me to screen for other neurodiverse conditions. So I've screened myself, <laughs> but obviously the uh, the GP probably won't accept that. So <laughs> I've still got to wait my time for the actual formal diagnosis. Wow, that's mad, isn't it? That really is mad. But that's the system. Yeah. yeah okay. So what happened? Yeah. Did you left university? What did you do when you when you went in, entered into the bigger wide world of of, of employment? Well, um, so when I had jobs through university just to make ends meet as many students need to do. Um, but my first, I would say, proper job was working in a care home. Um, and that was after my undergraduate degree. Um, I worked in a care home for less than a year and experienced the 
love of what it is to be in the NHS and uh and also it was part NHS part privately funded um unfortunately I experienced bullying um because of certain traits that I do have um I was told I was too nice <laughs> that was one of the things that came across um but I'm quite an energetic person. I'm a really compassionate and friendly person. And that is very common with people with ADHD. And I think that can be misinterpreted sometimes as being someone who's like really full on, a lot of energy, um, really extroverted. Um, unfortunately, it isn't always well received. Um, and so, yeah, unfortunately, I faced some bullying. And that got particularly worse after I had to whistleblow after a particular incident at work um and so I became really interested in the impact of your environment and your workplace on mental health because that clearly impacted myself and I'd already had um a concern with with my eating disorder and my mental health in the past so it didn't help um and I went back to university to do my master's and I was really interested in occupational psychology, what it means to thrive in the workplace, the impact of it on your mental health. Um, and I started my own business because I was able to do that flexibly. Um, and I, I wanted to go into organisations and do keynote speaking and training, talking about the impact of people's behaviour and communication and management and leadership on people's mental health but also on business outcomes because when I was happy at work I would give my best self and I would you know I would be thriving and being able to do my job at its optimum level when I wasn't treated fairly and was going through all of the things that happened um you know I found it really difficult to motivate myself to even get there you know let alone actually last a whole working day without feeling like I just wanted to leave and and evidently I'm not going to be as productive in that no in indeed indeed and it wasn't it, just me as well no it is strange it, it, it's strange in some of these large organizations or like that like that that have that problem Mm. Um, it's. I mean, I was. I did some uh, contract work some years ago for. Um, be careful how I say this now. Just don't don't let don't let too much out. Anyway, how you say these things? <laughs> Me um, too. <laughs> yeah. So so you know. But I, I was doing some contract work with this organisation, and what I noticed was how they treated the younger members of staff that were coming into the organisation. Because um, this was tr trade, a trade industry, so the trades have a, a tradition of the newbies get the piss taken out of them and get basically treated roughly, because that's yeah. what happened to them when they started. So they get sent out to go for they get sent out to go out and go and buy a glass hammer or or go and do go for a long you know go and buy a long weight mm -hmm. or a short weight or something. You know, just basically just waste their time and just basically, you know, make up because they don't understand what they're being put into. And, it, and it's and it's really weird that we do this to hum other human beings. It's really common in the NHS and actually emergency services in general, I would say. Um, 
Yeah. It's, it's the endemic thing that comes in. It's the same in the services, I would imagine, the same in the military and that sort of stuff. It's, it's something to do yeah. with that, that human thing. And I don't quite know why we do it to each other, but, you know, it's it's what happens when you get a group of people together and there's kind of a hierarchy in, in that, isn't there? Mm. But ultimately, people take it too far where it does become bullying. Mm. Um, you know, there's a huge difference between banter and a kind of, funny initiation that you might want to tease somebody to to a certain point in their in the beginning of their career Mm. um but if it becomes you know detrimental to the working environment the culture that individual's um place and mentality within the company Mm. um you know that's not that's not right it's it's bullying no indeed absolutely absolutely so you started a business and how long have you been doing that now uh seven years wow so i started it in january 2017 mm-hmm. um so yeah there you go massive at my strong suit <laughs> you can add that up <laughs> And so, what did that? What does that? What does that entail? What does that mean for you? What, what has that been? Is that, is that supporting clients mainly, individual clients, or, or working with organisations? Um, so it's evolved over the, over the years. I initially started out as um, more of a training organisation um, where I qualified in certain types of training, for example, mental health first aid in the workplace, um, and then gradually added more strings to my bow. I finished my master's degree. I started a doctorate. I started to do keynote speaking, talking about experiences and and how to support people in various sectors. Um, I then started actually writing training for other organisations if they wanted more bespoke content that was tailored to the organisation and what they they were trying to achieve. I then... um, trained in other other fields so trauma-informed practice um and then um started to do coaching as well to help people work through certain situations i've got counseling um certificates but i most enjoy working in a coaching facility to actually help people thrive in certain experiences and environments so i do work on a one-to-one level and i also work as an organizational support because sometimes they might want a whole training intervention implemented, they might want policies redesigned, they might want me to explore a cultural concern because they've got a huge turnover and a huge sickness absence concern. And I am the person that can find out why that might be, review the data you've got, collect data by doing additional research, um, and yeah, help people structure their environments and workplaces to get the most out of people, but also their business as well. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So, because you're one of the, probably the younger members of, you're one of my one of my youngest interviewees probably in in, the, in life, fashion, and business. Most of my interviewees are significantly are in are in, are in, in more advanced years, shall we say? So these questions kind of are not quite so relevant to you but they might be so how do you measure success because i see success is a journey of in the early life it's about acquisition but at some point the success changes so where is success for you in life at the moment for me it's all about having a sense of purpose 
Mm. and doing something that means something to you. I wouldn't have, it's very subjective, I know, but I don't think success is something that is necessarily an end goal. You know, it's not about having a million pounds in the bank or having a business open for 10 years or, or I don't know what people might measure it as. Um, I think for me, it's about your mindset and about having a sense of purpose and meaning in your life. And for me, that is success. Hmm. Yes, that's true. Because I mean, like when we first start off in life, success is about getting to adulthood and it's about going for those journeys. There's an acquisition process. Success is about learning, acquiring skills and those sort of things. So there is, mm. always has to be those things. But at some point, there has to be a transition point where you kind of have to start deciding what success is for you. So when you're exactly. when you're a child, you know, like you know, you're a child, you have to kind of do the things that make your parents happy. So that's success, you know. Uh, and then th that goes on. Now, some people never leave those things behind. Some people struggle to actually kind of define what success means for themselves. It's interesting mm. that you have actually got there already, which is good. It help, it's a healthy way forward. I yeah. think the importance as well is to make sure that you know success is meaningful to you as an individual not necessarily living for other people's mentality because I've worked with people with poor mental health I've worked with people who are really unwell with their mental health and you know some people who have recovered from their mental health um and I'm really lucky to have worked internationally with the business that I have and the people that I work with and for and one thing that I can say in those years of business and beforehand is that a lot of people have regrets when they have been working towards other people's measures of success. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's not just that. It's, it's, it's people will um, take on projects or take on a, or build a business to huge levels. And then suddenly realise it's not the business they wanted because they're sitting there with, you know, like they're responsible to for 50 people's mortgages suddenly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, hang on a minute, I never, I never set out to take this responsibility on. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I never wanted this level of stress. I, mm -hmm. What I wanted to do was that. <laughs> How'd you get there then? Well, I didn't quite aim for that, aim for this. And, you know, it's like it's like where you set your intention at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And so, I get that you don't always know what that will look like and sometimes you've gone that route and you need to kind of take a take a step back but i have met important. people who have dropped 50 you know fifty thousand dollar businesses just like oh plus, yeah me you know, too I, I it's, no, it's just killing me not doing any more of it <laughs> yeah i've met many a ceo and business owner who have said i've had enough i'm stepping back i don't I, you know, that work-life balance is really important mm. and they hadn't had it, so. Mm. So contribution is a good one. So where do you see your contribution to the world? A good question. Um, I find that my contribution is changing people's mindset. That's a lot of what I do for work. If it's, if I'm training then I'm helping people I'm helping educate people I'm putting knowledge into the world and I'm proud of what I do as evidence-based practice so I'm I spend a lot of time reading and researching and I'm still at university and doing all the CPD to make sure that the knowledge I put into the world is as accurate as I can and and 
help people understand things better. And then often I'm working towards changing a mindset. That's why I called my business mindset, because pretty much everything I do is about that. Adding knowledge into the world, changing people's mindsets and helping people understand themselves and get the most out of their environments and thrive in the in the situations that they're in. So that's my contribution, I think. Hmm. Yes. Well, clearly it is. It's, I knew the answer before you actually said it, but, you know, it's like it's interesting that you, you're aware of it. And do you see that? I mean, you you know, less, less, lot less years than, than I am sitting here. Where do you see that contribution going for you? Where where would you have a, a hope for that to go? There's someone in your thirties, you know, aren't you? I am, but I, you know, I don't mind if it's just one person or at a time, or mm. whether it's you know having a international business. I, you know, one of the things that means the most to me. I, I literally yesterday was training a course on neurodiversity in the workplace to a group of managers and by the end of the day someone stayed behind and burst into tears and was so overwhelmed by the day and essentially said that they've got a family member with autism and and this course has given them so much hope for their future that it's really taken them aback and they were really overjoyed but really emotional by the experience and and that to me that is I just wish I could bottle that up and have that with me all the time that to me is contribution that is success that Mm. that is meaning that is my purpose and that was one person and I I even feel emotional talking about it because it was such a lovely beautiful thing and it literally happened yesterday um if I could do that more that's what I want like that kind of shift and hope that people get I don't necessarily need to have a particular end goal it's just that if I can consistently work towards that then I I know that that's that's what I want that's my contribution that's my result it's when we get acknowledged and recognized at this that, that that those things those moments are really precious yeah, and, I, and I'd like to think that it, it has a ripple effect, I suppose, as mm. well, to kind of add to that, that my support has changed that one person, and I hope that that will change something else for other people that they know. And and so maybe, yeah, know that I've had more of a ripple effect as well. I'm curious, I, I, am I adding to this conversation or not? Well, I didn't say it anyway. Uh, what, I'm, what I notice in my own life now is I don't always know what I know. Oh, gosh, And yeah. sometimes I say something to someone that I think is just ordinary and it, and it blows them away. And he thinks of, oh, what have I just done? You know, and, and I guess that's, that's something for me that when I, when I get that, it kind of really, it, it kind of makes me, knocks me back on the journey that I've been on. Hmm. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, I'm learning all of the time. Mm. And I I think it's really healthy for us to understand that we don't know what we don't know. Um, But when you suddenly say it to someone, because you assume that everybody knows it, that's what I get. I I get surprised at. You think, well, everybody knows that, don't they? And they don't. And it's like when you Mm. say something in an environment where, and you really can change someone's life by saying something really simple, and they kind of go... And you think, so, oh, yes, of course, you know, I, I need to keep getting this information. I need to keep saying this because this is valuable to other people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
How about your, yourself? How do you contribute to yourself? Oh, that is hard. <laughs> so this is about this is about looking after you because at the end of the day, you are here to be Ellis White. You're not here to be Ellis White in the world. You're here to be Ellis White here. So how does how does Ellis look after herself? Um. Okay. So I'm I'm really good at self care. That was something that I or I like to call it self maintenance actually because like self-care gets this reputation particularly now that in the beauty industry and things like that that you know it's just luxury and you need it does for women for men self-care means something completely different but there you go <laughs> there <laughs> i ask <laughs> no it's just the self-care they understand what it means like oh yeah looking after your head yeah i know but for women it's all about makeup and looking good isn't it sometimes yeah so that kind of self-maintenance <clears> of <throat> um being able to to look after myself i'm I'm a big lover of my sleep. I can't function without that. And I make sure that I get it. Um, I have a bring a spaniel and we walk all of the time. So exercise, we get out in the fresh air. Um, my partner and I recently moved out into the countryside for that, for that purpose, really, to be able to get out in nature, have walks have enjoyable spaces around us that help us feel well and um mindfulness is another thing that I suppose I would I would say that I regularly practice the thing about being a psychologist is it's really important that you look after your own head because you I always say to people you cannot pour for an empty cup if you want to be able to give to others then you have to start with yourself. And I've met so many professionals and people in general who just focus on everyone else but themselves. And it leads to such burnout. Um, and so I have a lot more self-awareness, um, particularly because I have had poor mental health. Um, and as opposed to apology degrees help, understanding myself. Um, is is there is is paramount and being able to to make sure that I get that maintenance regularly is is how I look after myself. Yeah, that's very good, uh, and I think that is relevant not just to people who work who get in the caring profession. It's relevant for everybody. It's just not everybody realizes it. But um, everybody is a role model to someone, mm. and so if you want to be able to support your someone's, then. You know, you cannot pour for an empty cup. Look mm -hmm. after yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we get on to my mm, second before last question. And that's something about meaning. You've touched on this already a little bit about meaning. So meanings, meaning for some people is God or no God or, or some derivation or spirituality or something like that. It can also be something very simple. I mean, and so everybody has the reason that they do this. You know, like what is the reason for, to be human? What is the purpose of humanity? What's the purpose for you? What is the purpose for me? What is the meaning of life for you? I think it's about... You know, I thought about this question so many times since you've given me the questions and it's such a profound thing, isn't it, to try and quantify what is the meaning. Well, it can um, shift. It will shift and change over time. 
as we get closer to the end game, suddenly we realize that life is different. Yeah. You are in the first third of your life. I am in the last third of my life. You know, for me, it's different. We each, but we have to come up with a reason. That, oh, we don't. Some people don't have any reason to, for it at all. Their life is just is. It makes no difference. Mm. Because mm. The, the point about it is life has absolutely mean, no meaning whatsoever other than the meaning that we choose to give it. I think the, I think, and, and that's what, why I was struggling, because I think meaning means different things to different people. Mm. Um, I think for me, my meaning is contribution, as I said, being able to give to people, give knowledge, give kindness, give awareness, give a new mindset, a different perspective, contribution, that's, that's, that's my meaning, that's what, and everyone contribute something hmm. um but i would hope that it would be a positive contribution you know a supportive contribution to the world that's what i would want to kind of be known for and leave behind is is that understanding that i did contribute to that's what drives you, that's what drives you forward yeah absolutely hmm. absolutely um we I joke, but I um I remember getting asked a similar question when I because I'm doing my doctorate at the moment as well, and they're talking about you know why are you here, what are you trying to achieve in your research, and and the research is meant to have some kind of contribution, um and and I and I joke, but I said like, I want to change the world, <laughs> and there's a lot of things in the world that I don't necessarily agree with, and I will try and change them for the better that's that's my contribution is trying to change things for the better nice nice well thank you for that and i know it's a difficult question but I, as i as i always say if we've got answers to these questions we pretty much have a life sorted out as to where it's going and what we want out of it um and at the same time i guess you could probably do life without doing uh, thinking any of this and you get what you get so that's how it kind of works mm. really I think if you've got an answer to these five questions, you have your sort. Well, you're never in control of your life. You think you are. You're never actually in control of it. You are actually just dealing with it. But you have more of an opportunity to steer it a little bit and 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 get the the sense of being in in control to some extent. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think that it helps your mental health if you have an idea with these questions as mm. well. So for the benefit of our listeners, because this is this is your bit, you know, how do you bring it all together into the world? You know, what, what is it that you want people to do or, or experience or get from this conversation? I want people to understand that everybody's different. Everyone's come from a different walk of life. Everyone sees the world differently. Everyone's brains are wired differently. And to be more kind and accepting of that and be more curious as well. I see a lot of judgment in the world. And when I talk to people about their workplaces, about their mental health, about their neurodiverse conditions, people are met with a lot of judgment. And for many people, the light bulb moments that happen in my courses and my one-to-ones in my, in my work, um, is is helping them understand that it's good to understand other people's perspectives and and 
be curious ask them ask someone how you can help them ask them what their experience is ask them how they're feeling and how they're really feeling and and that I think can change the world mm. so what tools can you offer or help people you know listen to this podcast what could what could they do to support their mental health I think it depends on on the person mm-hmm. you know it's, it's it's not a one-size-fits-all approach there are things that are evidence-based work for a wide number of people things like exercise things like mindfulness being conscious of your lifestyle you know eating drinking smoking um all of those kinds of things have an influence on on pretty much everybody and then if you are struggling that it's okay not to be okay and talk to somebody about it and to explore the tools that can help you deal with that situation and I try and remind everybody that regardless of what you're going through um you know you may need different tools to deal with those things just as a just as someone might need a toolbox with different different pieces in there for different tasks people need the same kind of variation of tools to deal with differences in their mental health in their neurodiverse conditions in their life in whatever challenges they're being thrown towards um you know how i navigate my day-to-day challenges might have to be different to how i navigate a bereavement for example you can't expect the same tool to work for every person and every situation so it's about trying different things talking to people you know being able to reach out and get help when you might need it because many of us will need it at some point and that's Mm. okay and for people who are on the call who um on the call on the on, on the podcast who could who, who would suspect they might have some sort of neurodiversity how would they go about exploring whether they do that's a really good question and it it, it kind of depends um if they are in education i would start off with talking to that education setting whoever's in charge of their special educational needs or or the well-being side of things because it is easier to get access to screening when you are in education unfortunately if you've left education let's say you suspect you might have something like dyslexia that's not available on the nhs you'd have to pay privately to get that screened um or if you're lucky enough to have a work which has the funding to be able to do that within the workplace then you could potentially talk to your occupational health department or HR department and um, and they might have the tools to be able to support you there um, but that, that's a dependent thing on the organisation unfortunately. And what sorts um, of things would they, you know, what, what sort of queries would you say people need to look at? I mean, I remember a, a friend of mine saying, writing years ago, so no one ever told me the numbers on the page weren't supposed to move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really common thing. You know, for, and it's like she struggled yeah. with maths for years and no one told it wasn't normal for the numbers to move around. <laughs> yeah. So for that, um, I would recommend trying a different colour 
paper. Yes, I, um, I think she saw that. But I'm guessing, what yeah. are the kind of pointers that people need to know about? Like, you know, what what are the clues to saying, hang on a minute, if you're experiencing A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you might want to consider your neurodiversity? I would think back to how people experience their education. Mm-hmm. You know, did they did they get along with their education? Did they thrive in that environment? Did they struggle with the environment? Because most of the time when I'm speaking to someone who is interested in getting screened for a neurodiverse condition, they didn't have the best time at school. No. Um, they struggled with certain things, whether it be maths, writing, reading. They might have found that they were um, underperforming compared to their peers, that they took a lot longer to learn certain things. Um, and sometimes you might even notice it right at the age of um you know early um childhood where it took them longer to speak it took them longer to walk um and and so on so sometimes you can start to notice things about people's neurodiverse conditions from a really early age and throughout how they experienced education if they struggled if they find things hard compared to some of their peers um as you said if they see things moving on a page, that can be quite difficult. Um, concentration um, is is often another thing that people find if more difficult than some. Um, being able to concentrate on it on long tasks, being able to sit down for periods of time. Um, that is it is interesting how that diff- how that differs, isn't it? Because you can get a teenager who can spend five hours on a game and not have any problems concentrating on all sorts of puzzles and things within a game context on a computer mm. game or something and yet sit them down for 40 minutes to try and read something or work with some math problem they can't do it but that's it your brain's wired differently right yeah. and i was always taught it's like a mixing desk it's, mm. people talk about this spectrum as if they think it's this line where people mm. sort of sit one end of the line or the other but it's more like a mixing desk. Even if you've got a number of people with, say, autism, they're not all going to have the same strengths or weaknesses or, you know, challenges. Everybody experiences their condition differently. And it's like a mixing desk. Yeah. So it's about understanding how that person experiences the world, how they learn, how they navigate their life, any challenges they find. Um and I, I will say that um, many people that experience neuro- neurodiverse conditions also experience poor mental health. So that's a conversation that I often have as well is, mm. you know, what your experience of your mental health. Um, because as, as I've mentioned, um, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. But actually, if I had my time again, I think you would have picked up ADHD first and that it came from sensory issues rather than eating issues. So when we say poor mental health, that sounds like quite a broad church, so they just need to try to define that. Does that mean um, changes of mood from depression to going at that? Is this like depression or non-depressive or those sort of things? Or is there something other definition by mental health? Or... How long we got? <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to narrow it down a bit, really, because you can say, you know, poor mental health. It's I, like, what does that mean? Does that mean I I can't get out of bed in the morning because I, I you know I can't face the day? And I've had so days like that one. I've had days like that one. <laughs> there's so many different conditions. Okay, I would I would suggest 
that we're talking about to to be concise I could go into de- I could go into a lot of depth here, but to be concise I would say how much is your in- your mental health impacting your day-to-day life right and for how long is it impacting your day-to-day life yeah. and what severity of symptoms are you experiencing yeah. and also and a very important one is is this a rational response to something for example take anxiety if you've just been in a car accident it's quite a rational response to be really shaken up by something and maybe feel scared to get in the car for another few days after that incident but if this was going on for over a month at that point we might be considering another mental health concern so that's why I I add that kind of rationality into it as well because Mm. sometimes shit happens and you know you you're responding to it you're allowed to be sad if you're grieving you're allowed to be anxious if you've gone through a scary experience um but it's to what degree that impacts you every day how severe are the symptoms how long is it going on how rational is it so we're coming to the end of our time together. What is it that you would like to add to our conversation? I think I'm quite happy with everything that we have discussed, but I would like to reiterate the concept that support is out there. And I know that it can be really hard to find it. And I know what it's like to be in the NHS, working in it, receiving <laughs> care um, and I know what it's like to be in positions, in leadership positions and also receiving leadership. I understand both sides of the coin. Um, And I know how hard it can be to stand up for yourself and face challenges and, and, and access support and stand up for things that are difficult that you don't believe in. Um, But I really hope that people get this concept and mindset that, if we don't change anything what changes are you happy to to live with how things are because if the answer is no um then i then i truly believe and i have a lot of hope and passion for this that support is out there and it can be hard to receive or it can be hard to do um but it's 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 worth it it is worth it so alice if people want to reach out to you how would they do so I'm a big user of LinkedIn, so feel free to connect on LinkedIn and send me a message directly on that. I actually much prefer that to just the regular old emails because nowadays you get so much spam, don't you? Mm. Um, I try and navigate it, but but yeah, I like the old e- the old LinkedIn um, requests and messages through there. Um, but I do have a website. Um, Mindset BPS stands for Business Psychology Services. MindsetBPS.com. Um, my email and contact are all there, and I'm sure you'll pop them on the um, on the information for the podcast. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> all those links will be available at the website LifePassionAndBusiness.com. Yeah. Alice White, thank you so much for a lovely conversation. Well, thank it was you. an enjoyable conversation. If the topic wasn't all that. But it's one of those conversations it is and we have to deal with it, isn't it? Life, isn't it? it is I'm life. more than happy to talk about the challenges and 
yeah, we need to we need to face them. We do need to face them. We need to accept that life has ups and downs, and that gives what that's what gives it the rich colour that means a life of a life of meaning, if anything. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Lovely to talk to you. you. All the best. You too. Bye. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Ellis White. If you'd like to catch up with Ellis, and I assure you it's a worthwhile conversation, you can find her at mindstepsbps.com. You can also find her on LinkedIn, Ellis White. And those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. Hopefully you have been following this podcast for a while and have explored the five questions for yourself. But if not, what's stopping you? You know, after hundreds of interviews, I can say with a hand on my heart that having answers to the questions about our passion, a picture of success, an awareness of contribution, thoughts around the one question and a sense of what it all means, that is the path to a good life. Now look, you don't need me to tell you that our world is changing faster than at any other time, certainly any time that I can remember, and we must be sure to know who we are and what we want out of this journey because we will not get it unless we choose it so please give it some thought because you know your future depends on it and if you'd like some help with that process do check out the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com where you will find the five questions ebook and worksheets now this stuff is packed with exercises to help you on the journey towards self-discovery and it's at the amazing price of just 12.99 so do check that out at the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com. Now, finally, has this podcast been useful to you? If so, please consider giving us a five-star review on the app of your choosing. And of course, sharing it with a friend, because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts. And that's it for me until Sunday. As always, thank you so much for being here with me on this journey. I so appreciate your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best.